Thank you for joining me today on Geezers of Gear, episode number 202. And today's podcast is brought to you by Stratum Productions, bringing clarity and order to the chaotic event industry. Stratum is your single source pro AVL rental and design resource, proudly servicing shows and special events throughout North America. Founded in the heartland, the company's Midwestern values, relentless pursuit of perfection, and relationship-driven focus help separate them from the rest. From the first downbeat to the final curtain call, the Stratum Pro team of industry titans are committed to providing the best gear and technical support available to help you create immersive events that will leave crews thankful and crowds speechless. To learn more about this great company, please visit stratumpro.com today and today's podcast is also brought to you by our friends at act entertainment are you a student thinking about a career in live entertainment or an educator with students who might be act entertainment and act academy are proud to have partnered with ma lighting international to offer the new professionals bundle to students and educators in north america This new bundle puts the power of the MA VizKey and ACT Academy's beginner learning path in your hands at a very special price just for you. Together, they can help you unlock your future of playback, programming, and design. Check out the new bundle and all of the other learning resources at ACT Academy. And of course, visit coffeecult.com, coffee with a K, cult with a k.com and look for geezers grind everyone loves this coffee i love this coffee i drink it every day it's the greatest coffee i've ever had honestly it really is fantastic coffee but the most important part is that all proceeds from this coffee uh from coffee cult and from geezers of gear geezers grind all proceeds go to support for folks in our industry with uh roby backstage and um that helps folks with either medical or other challenges in our industry. So it's a great charity. It's one that I support. It's one that Geezers of Gear supports. And hopefully it's one that you support as well. So again, go to coffeecult.com and look for Geezers Grind and buy it today. Here I am. I'm back. Geese of Gear, episode number 202. That's a lot. We're doing another one tomorrow as well. That, unbelievably and remarkably, will be 203. And then we've already got 204, 205 already lined up for next week. So, yeah, it's getting crazy. Um, anyways, today's guest is a gentleman named Howie Zales. And I don't know Howie, so this is going to be fun. I love getting on uh, podcasts with folks that I don't know because I get to learn along with you about their history, their experience, their knowledge. Uh, this gentleman is an award-winning camera operator who turned his passion for television broadcasting into several entrepreneurial ventures, including a crew and staffing company, 
an early live streaming business and an educational business teaching people about broadcast, camera operation, and more. And so like you, I really look forward to learning from Mr. Howie Zales. So let's go ahead and bring him on. Hello, Howie. How are you today? Good, Marcel. How are you? Very well, thank you. So um, Howie and I just kind of introduced ourselves on the little pre-thing here and in our green room. And uh, and so I'm actually really looking forward to get to know Howie. As I was saying to Howie, uh, normally on this podcast, I either know the people who are on it or I certainly know of their experience and their history and, uh, you know, the bands that they've worked with, the things that they've done, whatever it is. Um, Howie, I've actually just learned in reading uh, prior to getting him on the podcast and stuff. So like all of you, I'm actually uh, going to be learning here and, and I look forward to it because he's an interesting guy on paper. So let's just see. <laughs> so, so um, you know, Howie, I, there's so many millions of questions I want to ask you because I, I think you're an oddity in that you have a very technical role and very technical background and education leading up and, you know, to, to your role, but you're also very entrepreneurial. And, uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get to that in a minute, but first I kind of want to know how you got into the business that you're in. And I guess, you know, that started as a camera operator would be my, my assumption. Yeah. Um, you know, I always used to being in New York, I, I always grew up going to Yankees, Ranger, Knicks games, Mets games. And, uh, I was always intrigued by the camera operators, what they were doing. And I thought it was cool. And then I came to find out that a distant relative was a New York times photographer who took, uh, pictures with Babe Ruth and Albert wow. Einstein that, that my family has. So Small names. It, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's yeah. kind of in the blood a little bit. And, um, in 11th grade in high school, I needed one more class to fill out my schedule. And one of the electives that was going to work in my schedule was a TV production class and the description of the class or the highlights were a trip to 30 rock, which is NBC studios and yeah. a tour of NBC studios. Um, and to watch a show being taped and i'm like well how bad can that be right no easy a and uh you know before that my passion was baseball i wanted to play professional baseball but i knew i needed a backup right so now i uh you know into the fall semester of my 11th grade year i, f I had this newfound love of tv production and i knew right then and there what i was going to do i was going to combine my love of sports especially baseball and TV production for my career. I only targeted colleges uh, that had programs that were, you were able to touch the equipment from day one. Mm. Um, and I and ended up at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh in upstate New York. Yeah. And it was an awesome experience. That's, that's so cool. So I, you know, I, I agree with that mentality by the way, because, you know, learning from books, I've always kind of believed that there's a better way, like to actually touch the gear and touch the stuff and do the job and, and put yourself in that position is very different than just reading about it. Right. So, yeah. um, practical experience. Like I, I've always sort of had that hiring approach on people is, is, you know, okay, here's all your degrees and here's all the nice letters behind your name and everything else. Let's just push that over here. Tell me about you, you know, and 
I, you know, I've always really liked uh, people who learned practical skills as opposed to, you know, had tons and tons, tons of book knowledge. I mean, it's obviously important as well, but. Um, yeah, so- I, I, you know, I grew up going to day camp and once I was in college, I knew it was time to, you know, move out of that phase. And I, I got an internship in, in I think my sophomore year of, of college um, I took the bus into New York City every single day to a company uh, in Times Square. And what my role became uh, was we would download CNN headline news, edit out anything you would not want to see on an airplane. And because I was able to edit in uh, college, I learned how to edit in college, they let me do all the editing. But wow. the owner obviously pro- proofed everything before uh, you know it went we submitted it. But back in those days, it was like 1992. We edited out anything you wouldn't want to say on an airplane, like a shark attack, if you're going to Florida or God forbid, a plane crash, you know, just mm. as examples. That's a big one. And then we'd make, make however many copies. And I get in the car with all those copies. I'd go to JFK airport and drop off all the JFK American Airlines copies. Then I'd go to LaGuardia Airport and drop off their American Airlines copies, make my way back to the office, drop the car off, take the bus home. And I did that all summer long. And it was one of the greatest, you know, things I could I could do for experience. What a, what a great way to start, huh? I mean, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. And, and at the end of the summer, I even got uh, the owner of the company was awesome and even paid me f- for every single day that I worked. He paid me and it was totally unexpected. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. So from there, what happened? Um, I, I got an internship, uh, my senior, my entire senior year of college at the PBS station in Plattsburgh, New York. And I met one of my closest friends there and I was directing the fundraising drives. Uh, I learned how to edit, uh, on their edit system, which was way more advanced than what we had in college at the time. And uh, I just learned a lot about production, but mm-hmm. you know, sports was still my ultimate goal. Yeah. And then when it came time to graduate, I, I knocked on every door in New York City that said so and so productions until I found a job in uh, Port Washington, which is like the first town on Long Island. Yeah, good old uh, American effort. Roll up your sleeves and go knocking on doors, right? I like it. Um, You know, it's funny to me that, like, not very often does a sports fan say, I want to work in sports, and you end up working in sports, right? Like, that's sort of, you've won life at that point, right? You're doing exactly what you want to do in exactly the environment that you want to be doing it, which is, you know, wow, that's, that's like, huge. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, 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 um, after I was done with that job that I explained to you about, I took a job shooting news in upstate New York, back upstate in New York, and I just put it out to the universe. I would tell anyone that would listen that I want to do sports, you know, sports. I want to be a sports camera operator. I don't want to shoot sports for news. I want to do it for the games. And so I would tell anyone that would listen. Yeah. And one day ESPN called the newsroom because a camera operator got sick covering a university of vermont basketball game that was going to be on espn the next day and they were in desperate need so because everyone knew what i wanted to do they said oh yeah we have someone for you and uh i 
you know, got hired. I, I met the, the right person my, who's still one of my closest f- good friends, Ted Flander, who became a mentor of mine and of many. Um, and uh, that one job eventually became a second job, became a third job, and it just snowballed. Weren't you freaking out a bit, though? Like you had no actual experience shooting a live sporting mm-hmm. event. No experience except for shooting sports for news. Yeah. So I had a lot of camera experience, but I'd never been on a real remote. I didn't know how to run the cable. But the thing is, I showed up willing to learn, wanting to learn, and I gave it 200%. um, And uh, I just, you know, listened. I asked questions. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. Like, you know, I guess it's a bit different, but like in the rock and roll business, I hear quite often, you know, I just said yes. Like people just say, I just said yes. Whenever opportunities mm-hmm. came to me, I always said yes. If somebody asked me, do you know how to, I'd say, yes, I do. You know, without putting myself in a position where either A, there was a safety concern or B, I was going to destroy a show because I didn't really know what I was doing. I just said yes. And I figured it out because the problem is, when you start saying, no, I don't know how to do that. They don't call you a second time. Correct. Yeah. I have a good story about just saying yes. Oh, I'd love uh, to hear. Leading in, right in September of 2020. So we're right in the middle of COVID. Uh, we, you know, started our live, live stream business. I was, um, what the rabbi for the synagogue that I go to is one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. And we were installing uh ptz pan tilt zoom cameras in the temple because it was going to be time for the high holiday services and i had set them up with all the equipment needed so everyone could watch the service remotely and while i'm there setting up a client of mine called and said listen we need to interview nine major league baseball players in nine separate weeks for our client um but the caveat is the interviewer cannot leave her home. She has to do it completely remotely. Uh, can you do that? And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, great, great, great. Uh, send me an estimate. So I called my wife. I said, Jenny, I said, I have no freaking idea how we're going <laughs> to do this, but this is what I just agreed to. But I turned is, to is my she network of, as well. No, but she's way smarter than I am. <laughs> I, I learned that you always you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, then there's a problem. Right. But I turned to my network of, of people and we devise these, um, we call them con- contributor kits where we send them out to people that are in our remote or hybrid shows. It's a high end laptop with a uh, camera ring lights, uh, USB microphones. And the beauty of it is, is our equipment. So we can dial in once the computer is on the internet, we dial into the computer, we can focus the camera, change the color temperature, uh, manipulate the audio. So the audio is leaving the computer in, in a good way and uh, control the, you know, the oh, lighting as well. Interesting. Yeah. Is that how, uh, you know, again, me being an idiot when it comes to this side of the things, but is that how like all of the different news uh, yeah. platforms that are, especially during COVID, were interviewing people that you could tell were sitting in their house in their pajamas. Um, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of them, some news organizations sent out kits like this, uh, or or um, we, we devised kits that we knew that could travel well, 
because we were shipping them all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, and we come to find out that uh, after after talking to several, you know, high end people that our kits were, you know, were better and, and put out a better signal and the quality was better than what the networks were even sending out. Interesting. Yeah. That is, what do you call those kits again? We call them contributor kits because they're contributor the contributors kits. to the show. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I, honestly, even for the podcast, I've always thought about yeah. even something as simple as sending them a half decent microphone and, and a pair of headphones or something, you know, because uh, I never have control over what the other person A looks like, B sounds like. I, I have a little more control now because I just keep upgrading software. And a lot of the right. new software now, like I can turn your lighting up or down. I can change color temperature. Uh, I can change certain things. But um but yeah, that's amazing. Obviously, the more professional that gets. And when you're interviewing, what did you say? Nine baseball players remote? Yeah, yeah. And not all at once. all in different places. Not at one time um, in nine separate weeks. But we did wow. do one of the coolest things we did was a home run derby contest for Little League baseball players in um, one night. And we did in one night we did boys and two nights later we did girls and on each show we had 10 kids and uh with the boys we had a baseball player and with the girls we had a professional softball player and these kids you know um with the help of their parents or coaches were given a time limit on how many home runs they could hit and it was videotaped and uh -huh. we would play the client supplied us with all these video assets and graphics and in, uh, you know, we did all these rehearsals. Uh, I did a tech check with each of our kits that we sent out. I had to do a tech check with each of the families, with each of the kids to make sure their internet was good, to make sure that their background was good, to make sure we can control the camera and that everything worked. So um, we invested in 25 contributor kits to make this one show happen because the girls, recording was two nights after the boys recording and we couldn't ship all of the equipment from the boys to the girls so we had to come up we had to design or come up with 25 of these kits interesting um, and yeah that it's was funny. one of the you, you talked about technical shows we had the kids yeah yeah you talked about the tech check and we did one right before we started and I broke everything. So, uh, <laughs> we're on a different screen. We're on different everything than we were going to be on because I just kept clicking buttons and breaking it. So yeah, I think I need a tech check on, on me. Um, you know, I, I want to get into this with you in a minute, but sure. there's a very big difference between like the software platforms that you use uh, a person very much in the industry and very much in the know and something that you know someone like me that you might call semi pro you know uh really i'm an amateur i have no idea what i'm doing so i'm just always looking for the simplest plug and play click this button then this button platform and um and so, yeah, you were sort of guiding me on, well, you might want to try this. You might want to try this. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I'm not going to have engineers around. Like, I need something that I can record quickly and easily, put a little bit of branding right. on it when necessary, and upload it. Real simple. You know, I sometimes don't even edit unless there's things that have to be edited. Uh, you know, if somebody said something wrong yeah. or, or we talked about a person that we shouldn't have talked about or whatever. But 
you know, because it's a podcast, it, it's a little less serious, I guess, uh, when it comes to all of the editing and stuff that you have to do. But, but yeah. So what, so the, the first event you did, I think you said was a basketball, a college basketball game. When, yep. I'm sure you remember your first of everything, but what was, what was the one where you were kind of like pinching yourself going, Oh my God. Like, I can't believe I'm standing here holding this camera. Well, probably, um, you know, going to Yankee Stadium the first time and being on a field because obviously it all started because I wanted to play professional baseball. So being on the field as a camera operator, um, that was one of them. Um, Being on an NFL sideline, the Kentucky Derby, the, the Olympics, I've done about eight, eight Olympics, um, events, events like that, that, you know, people would give their right arm to be, be at. And I was fortunate enough to be at, you know, not only be at the event, but, uh, like where no one knew who Michael Phelps was and he, he won his first gold medal in Greece. I was, there's a picture of him and me in the USA today. And I'm, I'm the camera operator that's like taking him out of the pool, like on my knees, wow. you know, when he just won, won his first gold medal. That's incredible. So, I got goosebumps yeah. from that. Yeah. <laughs> that That's an incredible story. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize, like I would have thought that for the Olympics in Greece, they'd hire camera operators from Greece, right? Like they wouldn't bring a whole team of those people over from the U.S., but so you yeah. get hired by who? By the network or by NBC? Production? Yeah. Oh, okay. NBC. And so you're freelance though. So you work for NBC one week. You work for ESPN the next week. Uh yeah, yes, yes. Interesting. Hmm. Um, and but most not most of us. It, it it there's different paths you can take in the industry, and what I mean by that is, um. I, I primarily work for NBC Sports. So in in the fall, I did Notre and I traveled pretty much with the same director. I did Notre Dame football. I filled in on Sunday night football. Um, then I did uh, in in the then I would do Olympics in the winter and whatever other events that they had in the spring. I did arena football. And then the three horse races, Kentucky Derby, Preakness, Belmont Stakes. Um, I would, there would be several gymnastics events in the winter or figure skating events in the winter, spring and summer. Did you ever um, work with Bill I, Brennan? Yeah, of, of course. course. I'm sure you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've been yeah. friends with the Brennan family for 30 plus years, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he was the LD for NBC for years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, I, I did the original XFL back in 2000 and I was hired by NBC and at the XFL, I met the world wrestling federation. It was federation at the time, entertainment people. Uh, and like, as soon as the season ended, ended some, a camera operator backstage got fired. And because I had met the right people on the sideline, they asked if I would mind doing it. And I ended up shooting, you know, WWE for over 22 years. 
Interesting. So I would go back and forth between wrestling, football, you know, and and the whole wrestling and NBC world. Yeah. So, you know, probably Jason in uh, WWE. Yeah. What about a guy named Frank Santoro who used to do the lighting like 100 years ago for WWF maybe? I don't know Frank, but of course I know Jason very well. Yeah. Yeah. Jason's a good guy. It's amazing how much big bigger those shows keep getting yeah jeff yeah yeah that's wild what about your first super bowl you did one right i've done many yeah um yeah i'll never forget it but you know what the super bowl is a weird event right there's all this hype and all everything leading up to it and um all the pregame stuff that goes on but as soon as the ball is kicked off it's just a football Honestly, game. Honestly, it's just another football game. <laughs> exactly. I with, mean, a, that's, with a lot more people on the sideline. That's the weird um, thing about the Super Bowl. It's just a weird It's thing, just a right? football game. Yeah. It's just another football game. So do you do anything yeah. with the halftime show as well? Like, are you shooting that as well, or is that a different crew? That's a different crew. Ah, interesting. The, yeah. the, um, they'll use some, they'll use like the cable cam from the main show. Okay, they'll yeah. use like the cart camera. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty much it's, it's. So the, the primo events, which I would guess are like the Olympics and the Super Bowl and stuff like that, like, is that politics? Are you bidding on those? Are you just... No, you, you, you pretty much travel with the same director. Okay. Uh, so you're part of his team or much, her team. Yeah. yeah, his or her team. So, yeah. um, and then for the Super Bowl, since it's a bigger show the more well-known people get asked by the other networks to join the show. Yeah. Yeah. So more senior people who, you yeah. know, they can trust you. They can, they know yeah. you're not going to screw it up and miss the field goal right. or touchdown or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's very cool. So, you know, what, like a 20 year career as a camera guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over that's, more than 20 and years. Do you yep. still do that now? No, I st- I stopped shooting about three or four years ago. Yeah. I've had three back surgeries, three concussions. You know, it's uh, I'm, so, I'm a full time entre- entrepreneur. Yeah, which I want to talk about because that's to me an incredible story. But um, to to stick with the camera stuff for a minute. So, how much did technology change, and and how much did that change like your game? from the beginning to the end of your camera operating career? Yeah, I I get this question asked often, and it's a good one. But technology changed because when I started, it was standard def, so four by three. Uh, Then it transitioned to high def, 16 by nine. And at first we were still cropping the shots for four by three because a lot of the country didn't even have high def. And what I mean by that is we kept everything in the middle of the frame. The graphics were still in the middle of the frame, not going, not going to the end because a lot of the countries still only saw standard def. Yeah. You you couldn't rely on the screen being wider. Yeah. Correct. And I feel like it was like 2010, 11 that it really became, okay, we can, let that go now and and so recent just yeah it's it's really not that long ago we've had this format forever now you know like 
I, I, it's hard yeah. to remember because even like the old yeah. four by three stuff is all being converted to 16 by nine. It, it could even be later than that. Um, that's but, wild. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really recent when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, uh, 3d with yeah. made a, a slight appearance, but that, that faded very quickly. Uh, and now we have 4k that's really not used in the sporting world except on a camera that's high and wide uh and and the reason why it's used is because what they'll do is they'll keep all whatever the event is keep all the players in the shot and then in the edit room or the replay room they can zoom it in as tight as they want and still keep it high def quality and not not have any degradation ah, in the, so in they the, can select part of the shot as opposed to the the whole shot or whatever they can zoom right yeah. and 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 they'll zoom it in and still it'll have either even better than high def uh look but nothing's broadcast in 4k yeah um and to answer your question the 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 weight of the cameras hasn't changed because a handheld camera if if it got and the lens is very heavy because there's a lot of glass in there for the high def so if the back of the camera was not equally as heavy the camera would be front heavy right you wouldn't be able to hold it steady ah, the camera has to yeah. be able to just kind of sit on your shoulder uh and not move so it's so, being ballasted basically it's exactly it's balanced yeah. and and the studio big studio cameras those those hundred by lenses there's so much glass in there that that again that there it's so heavy but the camera has to be equally as heavy on the back end to support the weight of the lens yeah see i would have guessed that the cameras were less than half the weight of of what they used to be you know just based yeah. on all the other technology out there that has gotten smaller and lighter um so there are cameras that are light, like the cable cam, you know, it's a small camera, but yeah, the majority of them aren't. But was there like a major transition from like analog to digital that, that made a huge difference to you or was it a camera, 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 like all the same, basically? Yeah. All the same, basically. Yeah. yeah not for me personally. Yeah. You're, you're looking through the, whatever, what I would call the viewfinder. I'm sure it's. Much exactly. smarter than that in your world. No, no, no. Exactly. It's still called a viewfinder. Yeah. Wow. I would have thought it was called the you know image capturing device or something. Nah. You know? <laughs> Live, whatever. Yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting. So, yeah. I mean, you just brought it up the the fact that you transitioned to entrepreneur. It's a again, like I said earlier, it's not what I would think to be a natural transition. Like I know a few engineers and really, really smart people. And I'm not saying all entrepreneurs are dumb. I happen to be dumb most days, but um, just the whole entrepreneurship world is full of risk taking, uh, you know, somewhat crazy, um, not very conservative people. And, um, typically that's sort of the antithesis of, of someone who has taken a lot of school to do a very technical job and have a technical career and to be, you know, engineering minded and stuff like that. So 
How'd that happen? Well, a great question. Um, I, I, I knew I needed a backup, right? I knew like, God forbid I got hurt. How would I earn money being a freelance person? There's no guarantee. You're not guaranteed a certain yeah. amount of days of work. So I knew I needed a backup and I didn't know what that was until a friend of mine called and, um, he worked for MSNBC and they were doing, I miss his radio show. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, of course. Uh, but once in a while they would take it on the road. And he said, hey, can you do camera for I Miss in the Morning? We're going to be at the, I think it was the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. And I said, sure, I'm available. I'd love to. And he said, hey, I need, do you have any friends? I need, you know, two more camera people, an audio person, this, that. And he named all these positions. I said, sure, I can find those people. And he said, can you do one, one more favor for me? He said, can you just send me one invoice and pay everyone? It'll make my life a lot easier. And I said, sure. And I was like, then I got to thinking, a labor company. <laughs> I got to thinking, well, someone calls me to work all the time and they have a business. Why can't I do this? Mm. So that, that was, that was it. Mm. And, uh, uh, I started HJZ productions. Uh, we started, we call it crewing or hiring, um, sports and entertainment freelancers in the new york area we started in the new york area and it really really took off in 2007 when the iatsi we signed a contract with iatsi local 100 and um then we started signing iatsi agreements nationwide and we do wow. work in other markets across the country but our primary focus is new york new jersey connecticut and what roles we hire anyone below the line, meaning below the producer director. So camera people, audio people, replay people, utilities, production assistants, um, A1s, A2s. Uh, mm. And so relatively specific to sports or not at all? No, sports and entertainment, corporate. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And studio, I read, remote, whatever. I, I read somewhere, and I don't remember if it was on your website or what, but that you initially focused on non-union uh, stuff. So uh, we started our second business, Veridity Entertainment, oh, or VES okay. for short. Yeah, so I got confused. Um, so we started that company, and what we were going to do is we were going to, because we have a lot of clients that come into the New York area, um, and they they hire us. HJZ Productions to hire the local crew that they need, but then they'll travel in a, a good part of their crew. So we started VES to say, let us take on the burden of paying those people under payroll on, uh, with you know New York state and federal labor laws. We'll train them in workplace harassment, sexual harassment, and take the burden off of you. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we kind of pivoted it into uh, live streaming. So why though was, why did you need a separate company? Why wasn't that just under HJZ? Is it called? Yeah. yeah. Good question. Cause uh, all those travel people are non-union because they're uh, coming okay. into New York and live and so wherever you couldn't they live. It. And we just wanted to keep it separate. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, you know, you moved into COVID. 
before we get into uh, what uh, Veridity, I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. all your company names because you have many. Um, before we move into that, like, so COVID for you, how did it impact you? Like whether adverse or positive or whatever, like how, yeah. how did your life change when that happened? Well, I, I had been prior to COVID starting, um, I was really starting to cut back on the camera work and it was my wife that helped me at the time. She said, you know, let, let's look at our financials, HJZ productions and now VES make way more money than Howie Zales, the camera operator. Yeah. If you, if you stayed home and focused on the two companies, we wouldn't even need Howie Zales as I like your wife. I like your wife. We should have had her on here. (laughs) So she helped me see that, uh, you know, that, uh, and, and as a, as a freelancer, you have that fear, right? There was a little fear giving it up because I was giving up something that I had for 20 something years. Um, but it was taking me away from my businesses and, um, and they were clicking and, and they were, yeah. So I, I knew I had to give it up and I hired a business coach and, you know, until I really flipped that switch and made the mindset change that I was, a uh, entrepreneur who was a camera person on the side, then a camera person with a side hustle did I really become, you know, the businesses really become successful. Yeah. So did everything shut down for you though, when COVID started or did that create new opportunities? No, um, everything shut down March 11th, 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. we had a soccer game that night after that game. That was it. Um, for three months. Oh. Um, no, no, but, but the one silver lining is that we always pay our employees before we get paid. So for three months, we had checks incrementally coming in because we had already paid those people. So clients, thankfully, <laughs> excuse Bless me. You. I apologize. No uh, clients, thankfully, were paying us during that time. So we had money coming in. So that, that you was didn't have thing. to kick right back out the door. So yeah, that exactly. was good. You had cash flow. Yeah. Uh, but in June of that year, we got hired or prior to June, we got hired to produce the graduation at West Point. Oh, um, for the cadets families, because they weren't allowing the families to to come to the graduation because of COVID. So I hired everyone from the director to the producer to the to the full tech crew. And um, the director said he wanted his technical director, the technical director is the one that, you know, when the director says take camera one, he or she pushes the button for take camera one. And it's a very difficult job. Uh, Besides the A1 or the mixer, it's the second most, you know, important role on any TV remote. Yeah. Um, And I put up a a little bit of a fight saying, hey, I have my own guys that have been sitting at home for three months that could really use the work. And he's like, I really need this person, Jamie. And I said, and and something in my gut said, you know, just gonna go with this because there's a reason. So I trusted my gut feeling. I kind of went with it. I met this guy, Jamie, on, you know, five days of West Point's graduation. And we hit it off instantly and became close friends. And he was one of the people in my network that I turned to 
when I needed help putting those contributor kits together. And we did tons and tons and tons of live streams together, which helped make my uh, VES of Aridity Company successful. So was were you, were you doing streaming events prior to COVID? No, I had just started researching it and um, looking timing, into huh? it. I knew it was kind of <laughs> down the road, but as soon as that happened, I knew I needed to like get on it. Yeah. You know, what's funny, uh, you know, again, very low tech compared to what you're talking about, but my company has been remote for, I don't know, eight or nine years now. And so when COVID happened, again, on a much smaller scale, I was getting calls from all kinds of friends of mine saying, you know, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know, like they didn't even know how to move files off of a server in an office onto the cloud and stuff like that. So I was teaching friends how to cloud their company, how to use Gmail instead of, you know, uh, like on-prem servers and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I I thought of actually charging as a consultant at some point and spreading out from just my friends because it was sort of back of the hand, easy stuff for us. Like Zoom was something we've already been doing for a while, you know? Right. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I was I was doing all kinds of that stuff and, and uh, you know, just guiding people through it, but not near as technical as the stuff you're doing, obviously. So, <laughs> so did... So your idea came to obviously expand into to live streaming and all of the different aspects of, of what that became, virtual events, I would assume. And Yeah, we do a lot of events for clients, corporate events for clients, concerts, yeah. things like that. So did, your, did you have to wait for software to catch up or, or did you just use the stuff, whatever you could get your hands on and make it work? No, I, 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 again, I turned to my network, uh, my friend Jamie, and um, we use this software called vMix, which is a broadcast quality software. It's basically a TV truck in, in a box in, yeah. in your computer. And uh, uh, I, I know it basically it can have eight different audio mixes going on simultaneously, can have over a hundred inputs on the big server I have. I think I can have 24 camera inputs. Um, Yeah. And uh, so we have on premises servers that we could bring to any that we travel throughout the United States. Uh, And then we also have cloud remote or cloud-based productions that we do as well. Yeah. And so you said you did live like, music events as well too right mm-hmm. streaming yes virtual yep was did you do anything where you were feeding back to the performers like you know because i've seen a different a couple of different technologies one that was created within our industry and then another one like uh uh i forget what it's called but tony robbins uses it i always see tony robbins do these live streams where he's got hundreds of people up in the wall and he can go hey you oh uh, yeah in yeah. kentucky you know and boom bob's on the screen next to tony and uh you know because we saw a lot of performers i talked to actual artists who said you know, I just can't get off on this virtual thing. Like there's no crowd there. Like we're playing and trying to pretend like we've got 10,000 people watching because we do, but you just don't feel it. Like there's no feeling there. So 
um we haven't used a video wall like that but we yeah. have the capability to do that not for like a thousand people but uh uh yeah we have the capability to Me metallica do did one and again that software uh, that technology was created within our industry uh um i forget the name of the company who did it but um metallica did this one in the round and so th they could just turn around and and like sort of go back and forth and have feedback from and give feedback to the audience and could like say bob in kentucky you're you're amazing and bob's going yeah, yeah. you know and I, wwe did something similar yeah as well. yeah yeah I, I mean that seemed to make a difference i gotta be honest i was never a fan of of virtual live events uh you know being at a live event is being at a live event. It's not like a sporting right. event. Like sporting events, most of them I prefer on television just because, yeah. like, you know, I'm a big UFC fan, for example. I've been to several UFC events, but you can't see what's going on. Can't like, see even anything, if you've got, yeah. Even if you're in the seventh row, which is probably $4,000 tickets or something, you still can't see when the guy's on the other side of the cage – and plus, you can't right. see the look on their face while they're getting something happening to their arm or whatever. Like, there's so many nuances that you just don't see live. Right. It's more, I guess, yeah, about so the feeling of TV. being in the live audience, right? It's the party. Yeah. It's the celebration. It's whatever. Um, so, yeah. I, I, You know, sports, I, I'm a big TV sports guy. Hockey, I love live. I'm Canadian, so I'm a big hockey fan, and, and I prefer it live. Um, but... Most sports I prefer Hockey. on television. Hockey's the best sport live. It is. Yeah, I think so. And I'm biased, of course, but, you know, it's just, it's a game that in many ways is easier to follow live as fast as yeah. it's going and stuff, right? Like my girlfriend is British and she knew nothing about hockey and I'd, I'd get her to watch it with me on television, the playoffs or something. And uh, she'd be like, I just can't even figure out where that little black <laughs> thing is. You know, I don't know where it is. <laughs> And I, I'd take her to live games and she'd be like, wow, this is incredible. I can see why you love it. You the know? sounds are amazing. The sounds and just, you know, again, when you can see the whole ice surface, it's easier to right. figure out where the puck is because you can see what the players are all doing and stuff. Right. And, you Correct. know, by the way, I don't know about you, but I hated that thing that Fox did with, with oh. uh, hockey with the streak on the puck. Oh, I hated it. I mean, at the so time much. I was in the audience. And you know, it's just funny because when you think of technology like that, the line right. in football, very well done, very useful, very good use of of technology like that. The streak right. on hockey, not so much, Brutal. you know. Yeah. Brutal, yeah. horrible. Yeah, that was just so bad. I couldn't even watch it. I I'd have Agreed. to change the channel. I couldn't even watch it. Agreed. Yeah. You know, again, sorry to stick on hockey, but I live in South Florida most of the time. I'm in Canada in the summers. But um, when the Panthers started there and I got season tickets right away and was going to the games, every time the whistle blew, because it's South Florida, lots of Hispanic people who've never seen or heard of hockey in their life. And so every time the whistle blew up on the scoreboard, there'd be a guy that goes, this is tripping. Tripping is when you do this and ah. you know, pull the guy's out, feet out. Explaining from the rules. They'd explain every whistle. Like this is offside. This is icing. You know, right. every single time the play stopped because people were just sitting there going, what happened? 
party. Why, why'd they stop? And, you know, it's funny because my, my boss at the time uh, and his family, we were at a game together, him and his two sons and me. And uh, they're French, and they'd never seen a hockey game in their life on television or live. Oh, my God. And a fight broke out. And these three French guys, oh, my God, you'd, you'd think that somebody was getting murdered. They were like, oh, my God, what is happening? Why are they doing this? Why don't they stop it? What the, These people are barbarians. And, like, they were just going on and on. So I went to a game with them maybe six months later because they had season tickets. And uh, they were all like, kick him, punch him more times, right. hit him They're again. You know? Yeah, they were, yeah. they were into it then. So anyways, I forget awesome. what we were talking about. I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent here. It's all good. So you started by now two companies. I know you also have an educational company, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. that that is to teach specifically camera operation or? Um, basically, uh, camera, audio, and utilities. Uh, the younger generation on how to get into the business because – it was very difficult for me to get in. Um, I got lucky. I always had a mentor. I still have mentors. Um, so trying to just pay that forward. Yeah. Um, and then we wrote a book uh, or manual, I should say. From the second you park your car to the second you get back in your car, what your role or job responsibility is as a utility, a camera operator, or an audio uh, an A2. And then we included, you know, as a replay person, what you should be doing, but not how to operate the machine because that's a specialty. And same with an A1 and a TD. Those are two special, three specialties that, you know, you really need specific training for. But uh, we also included in the manual how to shoot baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, and boxing from all the camera positions in a general, in a general way, because it's pretty much a formula. Each director may have his or her own style and tweak it a bit, but um, it's pretty much a formula also sports. So is this like some, is, is it, like a real school, like where people come and spend six no, months with you or is it? No, very, no. Yeah. It, 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 that was like the, the original thought was um, like a two day boot camp, and then get paired with sense. a camera operator or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, but what the struggle we run into is credentials, getting people, the security security is very tight at a lot of the venues. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of scaled it back to this two-day boot camp where the first day is where we teach about the business. We teach, you know, we hand out email templates, how to email a client. We hand out a list with phone numbers and emails of who the clients are. We talk about, you know, staying physically fit because it's a difficult, you need to be physically fit to do this job um, and how to do that when you're working late late hours or through the night or things like that. Uh, and the second day we actually bring in, uh, cameras and cable and audio setups, uh, like a booth setup, um, and, and have everyone run through how to put it together. So we'll have an, an A2 work with the people that want to be in the audio, 
world and teach them how to build an audio booth, how to put mm. out an effect spike, how to wire up oh, I see. Uh, someone with a lav uh, the right way, not just sticking it on. I see. Yeah. And then we'll we'll have everyone you know over and under uh, cable and not leave until they know how to over and under under and tie the right you know knot on the cable so it doesn't come apart. Um, mm. And then. For the camera people, we'll have uh, hard cameras and handheld cameras there and have them build, unbox, build, and then deconstruct and rebox the cameras as long as they want until they got it down. Because we don't want them to show up the first day of the, that they get a job and that be the first time they see the equipment. So then through your, your um, crew? Then through my, then through my crewing agency? business. No, but can you, my, are you pulling those people through there? We the, the first time we ran a course, we were able to hire four out of the five people. Oh, wow. Uh, and we That's still cool. do. We still do. And so what we do is we bring once they go through the training course, I'll bring them on uh, a, a few work days as a shadow and as an unpaid yeah. shadow. So they can see how it works. Right. Um, we can't just throw people into the fire. And then, um, uh, yeah, and then the goal is for us to be able to hire them. The that age of so freelancers is getting, the age of freelancers is getting up there. We need to start replacing people. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, are you having similar problems in that business that we're seeing in the, in the entertainment and concert touring and even, you know, uh, trade show production and all kinds of stuff like that, but there's so many crew shortages. <laughs> And mm -hmm. so there, we're seeing a lot of very innovative education and, and uh, introduction programs and stuff to bring more people in. Like they're actually going out into the market and saying, hey, come be a roadie, you know, because like one of the things I, I would guess in your business, it's a little different where if somebody wants to be a camera operator, it's, it's more than just the glitz and glam of going to a football game and being able to stand there holding a camera. But um the um where was i going with this in the concert business people think it's like a gypsy job you know like <laughs> you don't make any money but you get to travel the world for free but you know people are going out on tour making 100 grand a year uh, quite regularly now and it can be a very good career where yes you do get to see the world and yes you do have an interesting right. unusual lifestyle but you also it's also a, a lucrative career you know right and yeah. so, but do you guys have shortages like that in, in your uh, world as well? Yes. Mm. And if, if I don't book certain positions early enough, it's bad. Yeah. I like every weekend we have, uh, we, we do a lot of hiring for major league soccer mm. and, um, as, as I think every weekend we have four a1s working 15 replay replay people working four tds working and that's just on my shows there's yeah. a few other companies that do what i do my fingers are crossed every weekend that someone doesn't get sick or cancel yeah. at the last minute so if someone's listening to this and they're like well i want to be a sports cameraman um do you have to have like college degrees and stuff or can you no, just can no. you train and become a cameraman like could i go out and be a grunt on a few jobs, a bunch of jobs and work my way up and take your classes and do all of those things and become a cameraman. Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. So 
how do people how do people enlist in your course? Yeah, so uh, it, the best way to get in touch with me is um, howiesales.com and then all of our websites, HJZ Productions, Veridity Entertainment, and the Broadcast Sports Course uh, websites are all found there. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so oh, howiesales.com or at Howard Zales on LinkedIn. Another technology question. So, you know, it's become very common in lighting uh, remote follow spots where people can be outside yep. in a truck or in the VOMs or backstage or yep. something running the follow spots. And there's a camera on a light fixture and they're looking at a little screen. And so do you have remote cameras like that now or? Uh, we have robotic cameras like that. Yeah. Robotic. Oh, so you're just using a joystick or whatever yeah. on a camera. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and like, so for basketball, it would be maybe above the rim, above the, you know, of yeah. the net. Uh, on ice, it would be center ice, you know, the camera that kind of goes yeah, or or behind the nets. But it seems um, like the guys with the big cameras that are, that are doing the actual sporting event could be moved yeah. out of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. They could be moved out of the way. Like the, the people could be somewhere backstage or somewhere else. Yeah, you know why? Because uh, it, it's going to be hard to move the people out of the way. And I understand the difference is that um, with the follow spots, you're, you're shooting that one person, right? The artist yeah. or whoever, whomever. With um, with camera people, um, we're listening to the storyline that the announcers are talking about. So yeah. if they're talking about who, whoever number ten on the bench. Right, yeah. you need to be able to go outside find the viewfinder yeah. and find find out what's going on. And you cannot do that if you're not. That's true. Yeah, within that's the playing surface. Well, the other thing I guess would be that, um, you know, with lighting, you can get them up and out of the way. And part of the right. problem has always been the you got to put truss follow spot operators up in the trussing, and right. it's dangerous and it's sight lines and all of those things. And so those are the ones that we're trying to replace first. And right. those have moved to remote follow spots now, but I was yeah, just curious yeah, they have them at the Barclays Center in New York. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So, you know, virtual and and streaming and all of this stuff. This is a growing business, or is this something that that sort of flattened out a bit after COVID? Yeah, no, it's definitely growing. Uh, companies are will always do their events, corporate meetings, and events uh in a hot hybrid style meaning in person and you know online um yeah it's it, there's only growth to be had interesting yeah and so you know i i follow this so closely because i'm always trying to figure out like our company's going to do less trade shows because they're going to do more virtual stuff where they're just in their conference rooms in their uh in their headquarters you know doing a virtual presentation or whatever versus having everyone at meetings or whatever. Um, right. Myself, you know, I do a lot more of my business on zoom now than, than I did in the past. You know, now it's almost a hundred percent. Like I travel so much less than I ever have. And to me, that's a good thing, but um, right. I did fly last week and I was delayed on every flight and every airport was jam packed. And, obviously not everyone is following my uh 
desire to be more remote, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I can't believe what's happened with travel. Like I, I know it's not just somebody told me they're just using less airplanes. That's why all the flights are full. The airport's full. Like it's not just I, the flights. I are know. Full. The airport. I traveled four days a week for 22, 23 years. Oh boy. I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. No, I don't blame you at all. So, you know, again, on technology, when you're working on virtual events and, and you're trying to make it more engaging uh, for the audience, for the people watching that virtual event uh, on a computer or on a television or wherever they're watching in a conference room, um, what are some of the tools that are available to you? Yeah, good question. Um, so let's say the, the presenters using, you know, PowerPoint slides, right? Um, one thing that we'll do is we will create uh, graphic boxes. And what I mean by that is we'll put the speaker in a, in a one box, then we'll put the slides in a, in, in a box, then we'll um, um, have like a two box, we call it a big little box, a small box for the speaker and a bigger box for the slide and they're on the screen at the same time. Mm. So we'll cut back and forth between just the speaker, just the slide, especially if there's a lot of material on the slide or a combination on the same screen, the speaker and the slide. And we'll keep cutting back and forth to make it more engaging and more interesting, not just sitting on one thing for a long period of time. Yeah. So by the way, Howie, that's what I had before I screwed it all up at the front end of our call. So uh, I had cool little windows and different boxes and different uh uh, scenes that I could go to, but I kind of blew it. So <laughs> I'm going to have to rebuild those. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's cool because obviously sitting, looking at a split screen, like we're on right now, you can do it for a while, but after a while it gets pretty right. boring. And, you know, I typically don't do just this split screen thing because I've been doing zoom for way too long. And, you know, most, I will call them competitors, but most other podcasts in my world or in my sort of purview are, um, they're just recording zoom calls. And so right. at least I'm actually using proper podcasting software with proper lighting and proper audio and all of those types of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to go to the sort of lowest common denominator and just record a zoom call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and the, but the quality is not good. No. No, I mean, even, you know, even from a standpoint of call it, you know, consumer video conferencing, uh, as opposed to the professional stuff that you do, it's gotten so much better. Like, you know, I yeah, remember, yeah. I remember Google Hangouts. It wasn't that long ago. It was a couple of years ago. Right. It was terrible. And it sent people running to Zoom and Google Meet today. I switched back from Zoom to Google Meet for most of my stuff because I just, I prefer it. It's easier. And I think uh, Teams is the worst. I can't stand Teams. And what's the other one that people use? Um, the Cisco one that's still out there. For uh, WebEx. Yeah, WebEx. maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's but awful. I, I hate when I get invited to Teams or WebEx calls and it's like I got to download software and do all this stuff. And it's terrible. Teams doesn't like that. It doesn't like Mac. Yeah, it's brutal. So as you're growing your your virtual uh, streaming business, what are what are some of the challenges you're you're looking at or maybe currently impacting your business today? But going forward as as you continue to scale the business and as technology continues to evolve, 
what are some of the challenges that are that are plaguing you? Yeah, uh, just trying to get our name out there to new new clients and mm. new and different projects, um, and just you know that's it, just new clients, uh, different projects, and uh, just get our get our name out there. So, Veridity, your clients are who? Our corporate corporate clients that are looking to do, you know, small to big, and we don't target one or the other, because um, we have all different package levels, we can do a $100,000, you know, production or a $10,000 production, it all, yeah. it all depends on what the client's needs are. And we have the equipment to do to do it all. Um, so it, it just it just depends. So any corporate client that has some sort of either virtual, hybrid, or full in-person event. <clears throat> ah, interesting. And so, it, you know, like I was saying before, I, obviously right after, well, during and just after COVID, most of the big companies were not going out and doing trade shows and corporate events and their meetings and stuff. Um, it seems like a lot of that has come back, but not all of it. And it seems like maybe if they were doing two big corporates a year, they're now doing one and maybe two or three virtuals to, to sort of fill it in. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. And to give you an example, um, <clears throat> we did uh, at this huge, uh, it was a trade show for veterinarians and and their veterinarian pharmaceutical products mm -hmm. veterinarians from all over the world so one of the pharmaceutical companies is our client <clears throat> and at this conference we shipped all of our equipment down there we produced because all of the key players were there we produced a 30-minute linkedin live did it live directly to linkedin uh, from, you know, the Orlando convention center. Ah, interesting. And so yeah. what if, what if though I was a, you know, a, a, an artist and I'm doing a concert at, you know, whatever. Um, and I want to, I want that concert to go out as a virtual broadcast. I want, I want to yep. be able to sell tickets for people to, uh, you Great know, question. go and, and is that something that you could get involved with? Totally. We, we have yeah. a CDN or a content delivery network where we, mm -hmm. we, we stream it to our proprietary content delivery network. Uh, and we would stream it to, you know, the artist's website or, or a micro site of the artist's website mm -hmm. that we can design. And we would put it behind a paywall. And the only way to get to see the broadcast would be able to, you know, pay. Yeah. to see it we do something similar for uh just a quick example for the synagogue that we belong that i'm a member of we do this super high-end production for the holidays in september um where we have four cameras and a lot of graphics and we just make the virtual experience uh something that people would want to go to because we can't fit everyone in the synagogue but yeah we put it behind a donation paywall. Uh, it's not a mandatory thing, but we ask people obviously to donate to be able to watch it. Yeah. Oh, that's <clears throat> interesting. So, yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, I know that that's that's a thing. Like a lot of artists I see are trying to kind of blend uh, combinations of, like for example, Metallica. Uh, a friend of mine is the LD for Metallica, and oh, nice. they <laughs> are, uh, you know, they're out doing these massive stadium shows, but they now have a thing that they've just put into movie theaters. And I think it was only for a few day limited run or something. But, um, uh, you know, I see a lot more artists doing that kind of a thing. Like, you know, I would I would expect if she hasn't already Taylor Swift because of how oh, they, how they definitely shot her, how short they are on tickets. <clears throat> you know, no matter how many venues she does, everybody still wants right. to see her more and more and more. And uh, so, yeah, I would expect that there's some way of paying money to see uh Taylor Swift concert from your living room or whatever. Again, like to oh, me, yeah. it's not the same experience, but you know, it's added value or whatever you want to call it. Like maybe if right. you get the ticket, if you buy a ticket and you go watch it live, they give you a, a replay of it for free, you know, where you've got a code that you can put in and go back and watch right. it. So you don't have to record the whole show with your, your iPhone like this. Oh, my arm's getting so sore. Oh, my arm's getting so sore. Yeah, you know, it, but you know, I mean, brings up another funny point so a friend of mine mark brickman uh is a lighting designer for um well he did pink floyd for a number of years okay and uh just a super talented guy and i'm sure it's mark who told me this but it might have been somebody else so if it's somebody else i apologize if you're listening but um that more and more now lds are starting to look at their shows through an iPhone because they might have 15,000 people in the <coughs> arena watching the show, but they've got a million people on YouTube watching it. And we've done. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so they're, they're actually saying they're looking and going, what's my show look like on an iPhone or on a Samsung phone or whatever, but what's it look like on a screen this big and they're, they're tweaking it maybe color, maybe just angles and things like that to make sure that it looks really great on a phone. So. We've done a number of shoots, uh, live stream shopping shoots, where we take our professional Sony FX9 and instead of shooting it this way, we shoot it this way. Yeah. But yeah. Same reason. Decide the way, same, so the same exact thing. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's broad because more people are watching on a mobile device, i.e. a phone, uh, than anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially when, you, when you're talking about something like a concert where, you know, there's probably a thousand people in the audience that are recording songs that night and then immediately posting them up to YouTube or Facebook or whatever right. it is. So millions and millions of people who aren't at that show are watching that video and it might as well look good. You know, right. So, yeah. yeah. So just once again, how do, how do people reach you? How do people book you? How do they find you to sign up for, for your, your teaching? Um, I think it's all super interesting, by the way, like everything I've just learned. I, I knew nothing about it, obviously, based on my questions, you can tell, but, um, but yeah, how do, how do people find you? Yeah. Uh, Howie Zales, <clears throat> excuse me, HowieZales.com. Okay. Uh, and then all of our websites are there. And uh, for any client or artist or anyone that, uh, you know, does a live stream with us for the first time, first time client, we give 10% off. Cool. Um, 
and yeah, uh, HowieZales.com, all, all of our websites are there or at Howard Zales on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, Howie. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you for your time. I really very, appreciate it. Very I'm interesting guest. to be here. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much. All right, my friend. See you later. Bye. Thank you.